Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Black on Black Education podcast. Today, you're going to be hearing a conversation between myself, Eva Loren Jean Charles, founder of Black on Black Education, and the founder of nonprofit Financial Friends Foundation Incorporated. She is not only an author, a PhD student, the youngest member of the school board of University County, um, and an alumni of Teach for America. Her resume goes on and on, and she gives us so much about why and how she chose to take on all these roles and why and how she continues to do work in service of students. So I know that you are all going to enjoy this conversation and I can't wait to hear what you think about it. Enjoy. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Black on Black Education podcast. As always, I allow the guests to introduce themselves to the listeners. So take it away. Hello, everyone. My name is Chelsea Saray Addison. I go by Saray. Um, I am the founder of Financial Friends Foundation, as well as the author of Savannah Savings Jar. Um, I'm also formerly the vice president of the Board of Education, University City. Uh, currently, I feel like I don't want to title this thing, right? But like, just to give you a, a scope of like who I am and what I do on a daily um, I'm also um, on track to getting a PhD in education policy and equity. Uh, so I'm really passionate about uh, unbuilding those structures that were built to um, to not ensure that Black people were able to receive what we deserve just as human rights, mm-hmm. um, specifically in the space of education and uh, like economic development and finances. Absolutely. You, you, you let them know. Other groups will have no issue sharing their accolades. So we should not either. Um, I want to start by just kind of talking about your journey to education and what that looks like. um, And your journey to becoming an educator and what that looks like. Okay, sure. Yeah. So I come from a family of educators. Uh, my grandmother uh, was an educator. Her mother was an educator. Um, and I come from an educator of like professors. So my grandfather taught at Clemson. I want to say my grandmother taught at South Carolina State or some, somewhere in South Carolina. Oh, <laughs> oh now you can't hear this. No. Um, but yeah, so and then I know my grandmother integrated what uh, Northwestern, she and her brother integrated Northwestern back in the mm. day as well. So I come from a, a long family line of like education in the classroom as well as like preachers. Um, and personally, uh, I became interested in education after, um, after leaving college, I received my undergrad in communication science disorder. So I was already passionate about, um, supporting people and their efforts to whether it was accent reduction or um, just like speech language pathology in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, I ended up applying for Teach for America um, because I wanted to play a role in um, like increasing reading scores with kids and just increasing academics for black people in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I I knew that in order to do that, it wasn't just going to be from research, you know, I needed to be in a classroom, be with the people, really understand uh, what were the needs and what were the problems and how I could be used. Uh, and so that's why I decided to go into the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then next thing you know, I'm teaching first grade, teaching second grade. Uh, and then, like I said, right, uh, Savannah Savings Jar, I continue to teach and educate uh, students and families about um and in in a way to give them the resources and tools that they need love that that. um i as someone who's going into for america um i think that they've started to create a coalition of people who are who are trying to be in support of students of color and students in low-income communities and so um just having so many people who have been from TFA on the podcast, some intentionally, some very unintentionally. Um, it has been very interesting to kind of see what the TFA perspective has given folks. Um, 
and also listening to people's reasons for joining TFA, because I think that that is always a very interesting conversation, especially people who I've met who are thinking of applying into, into my cohort of Teach for America. Like, there's the lump of folks who just, like, education is it. And then there's the folks who are like, I want to fight for equity in a very different way, um, but I have to understand these communities first. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's really cool to kind of like exactly. piece in. Um, but I kind of wanted to get into that piece on financial literacy. And we've had a few conversations on the podcast mm-hmm. about financial literacy and its importance specifically in communities of color, but kind of hone into why, um, especially for such young kids, you found like it was so important to create uh, a more positive relationship with money. Mm-hmm. So, like, as I mentioned, my undergrad was in pathology uh, and audiology, and a lot of what we talked about uh, during my classes was the importance of early intervention. Mm-hmm. So, going into teaching, I grasped the understand of starting early in order to um, mitigate and prevent uh, or be more proactive about um, whatever the thing that was at focus from being able to persist. And so when it came to um, what I was seeing my students in particular uh, struggle with outside of the classroom, <clears throat> as well as just like the black community in general, uh, the, the concept of like finances and economic development kept coming up. Uh, and then on a more lighthearted note, uh, what happened was I was in, I was in my third year of teaching and I was having a conversation with my students at that point. We'd been like five months into the semester and, uh, we'd made mastery and growth of like two to three years, depending on who the student was across the board. So that was in reading, math, science, social studies. Um, and so I looked at him, I was like, so we've pretty much done everything that, you know, the state requires us to do, right? So what are you all wanting to learn that we're not talking about in the classroom? And so we threw around a lot of different ideas and um, one of the students brought up money. And a lot of that came from just her uh, sister not learn, not knowing how to count the money in the cash register and losing a job. And so uh, it dawned on me that if we're not really teaching the students in the classroom, or if we're only teaching the students how to count money in the classroom and not really how strategies on how to use it, uh, how are they going to then take any skills and be able to implement those into the community to be able to, whether it's group economics or um, advancing ourselves economically in general as a race, how are we going to, when is that conversation going to ever happen? Um, and again, going back to early intervention, thinking about how can we mitigate this process as early as possible so that we can really see some long-term impact. Uh, and so again, like I'm big on early intervention. I was already teaching first and second graders. Uh, I'm big on thinking about what my locus of control is. So it's like, where am I right now? How can I make action from here? Uh, And so, you know, I talked to my students. I'm always reading, I was always reading books to them. And just to clarify, I'm no longer in the classroom, but at the time I was always reading books to the students. And uh, so I was like, what if I just start with a book? You know, I can start there. Uh, and then through the book, uh, obviously Google researching, realizing that there you know, aren't a lot of rigorous content that feature black kids or just rigorous content in general for that age group around finances, uh, especially in an engaging way um, or from a teacher perspective. And so I wanted to add in different standards and comprehension tech uh, strategies for parents and teachers and students to be able to use um, in order to just like begin to have these conversations. Uh, And then it went from financial literacy to through my research, financial capability, uh, Mm -hmm. which is just like, how do you actually apply the lessons of literacy that you're learning? And so um, next thing you know, I'm starting a nonprofit and girl, I'm on a rabbit hole. (laughs) But (laughs) But, I mean, yes. 
that's what happens. It's like you just, your story to financial friends kind of sounds very familiar um, to the story to black on black education. It was just this one thing that you notice and then the next thing that you notice and then you're like, okay, well, what can I do now? How can I do more? And then it just becomes like, boom, we're here with this, this tangible thing um, that's in support of folks. And so I kind of want to talk about what you learned from your students about their relationship to money and how what you learn from your students and that relationship to money um, you're using right now in the content that you're creating and the curriculums that you're building and obviously in your book? Oh, that, that's a really good question. Okay, so, and there's a few pieces there. So first, what did I learn from my students about money? Um, I learned that they had a, how can I say this? They made up, their understanding of money because there wasn't a lot of explicit formal teaching of money. Uh, so they knew a lot about money, right? They knew where you could get it from. They knew what it could be spent on. Um, but they'd made meaning of a lot of these things and a lot of the terminologies around money. Uh, so whenever, you know, I would ask, okay, what are you going to spend your money on? They could only think about what they'd really seen already. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what it taught me was, okay, how can we expand what these kids have seen, right? How can we give them more experiences? Uh, how can I also give them the terminology to apply uh, and, and broaden the scope? So, okay, let's take from where they are right now. You know about saving, but there's also these other things that you can do with your money. You can spend your money and you're already spending it, but there are different ways in which you can spend the money mm -hmm. or you can make more money. That's called investing. So like, you know, expanding their understanding mm -hmm. of the many ways in which money can be used. Um, and again, like I said before, it was just a matter of here's how we're counting it. And I know this is this thing that my parents always tell me that I, that I need. And everyone had their own different narrative because everyone's coming from, different home life situations. Uh, and this isn't just the, the students in my classroom and in a formal way. These are conversations that I'm randomly having with kids as I'm going along the way, learning more about uh, what students are, are needing versus what I'm actually seeing them have. Um, and when I say that, there's, a, there's an organization called Jumpstart Coalition that has national standards on, um, on financial literacy. And so I would kind of quiz informally my students and see like okay what is it that they already know and a lot of those things were used for savannah savings charge just to like bridge a gap between what i saw that where they were to where they could be standard wise um so yeah i mean and and i and, and again i learned so much even about uh the influences of the music and again their experiences their parents uh and so it it made real for me when i started to read the research about uh, the habits and and how those and how the habits translate over into um, mm. or excuse me the mindset how the mindset translates over into the habits and how if you change the mind then you can change the habits and um, I remember reading this this uh, this study oh I can't, I'm gonna blank on the names they're from Cambridge um, but anyway it essentially talked about how uh, the habits of of children are formalized around money by seven and how they can already start to basically understand the concepts by three and for someone who may not have a lot of contact with that age group that may sound like what that's too early how can they really grasp that kind of idea but then you take that same three-year-old four-year-old five-year-old and they'll say well mommy can you just swipe your card right yes. so that's understanding basic concepts it's just now how can i replace those basic concepts with something uh that is that's real right that it, mm -hmm. you know um you you tell your kid money grows on trees and so now you got kids really walking around thinking okay well now they're making their own money. okay so pay i know paper and trees so maybe that's what they're talking about with money <laughs> you know whatever they're you know whatever they're kind, kind of thinking of of it, this is replacing that with real lessons. Um, mm -hmm. And then my biggest thing was because I knew that kids love to um, to learn through experience, uh, not just sitting up and lecturing them. How could I make it so in a way that uh, if it was through a book, it was conversational, so they had comprehension questions where they could turn and talk to a peer or a parent. Um, and if it was in a in a project based learning style, 
how could I create some kind of scenario where the kids are able to use their imagination and use their creativity and apply those lessons and then teach someone else because kids love to be in control of their own learning and be able to share it with everyone else in a mm -hmm. creative way. And so that's essentially how I, I took all of those experiences and all that understanding and, and that's how I am structuring, whether it's through curriculum or program format, uh, Financial Friends Foundation, as well as my books. Yeah, absolutely. No, that, that was a lot. No, that was a lot, <laughs> but it was so much that was needed in this conversation. Because when I'm even okay, thinking about my cousin, who's three years old and has mm -hmm. a understanding of money that I just can't even like fathom. And it comes from yeah. the fact that her parents invest time and energy into her understanding money. But I also, whenever I have a financial literacy conversation, I kind of think back to when I was, I had to be like maybe 10, something like that. And my little sister um, wanted something from the store and my mom couldn't afford it and told her, no, you can't have it. Sorry. Maybe next time. No. And we left the store and we're driving past Chase, the Chase my mom always went to. And she was like, wow, why can't you just go to the money store so that we can get more money to get it? Yes. The money store. <laughs> because in her head, every time we went to Chase, my mom put her card in, she took it out and then cash was there. So that's the store where you pick up money. That's how it works. Like she just, and for her to have even made that connection. And of course at 10 years old, I'm like, girl, I didn't know money store. Like, like completely just like devaluing. Her but then now coming back to it as an older, as an older person, I'm like, I mean, how would she have understood the capacity? The, like, well, how would she have understood that that's what a bank was? How could she have right. done that? Because no one, I know for a fact, I hadn't had a real conversation about money until I stole from my grandma. Like, <laughs> that was like the first time someone sat me down and was like, money like means something. People work for money. Like, it's not just this thing that you have. So you can't just take it when it's not yours. And right. I was like, oh, okay. But before that, I just never really had like any understanding other than you need money for things. When you don't have money, you can't have things, but not really like the value behind it, what you could use it for. Like the idea of investing was not even something in my consciousness until I was in college. Like when I was in high school, I understood what it meant to invest, but I didn't think of me being a person who could do so, or like that was something that was important for me to kind of start thinking about. And um, thankfully I have people in my life who've changed those perspectives for me. Um, but if we're not teaching it in schools and we're not putting it out there, folks with different home structures, different uh, families with different relationships to money, they may never get that sort of information. So I think that I, that's a long-winded response to say everything that you said in that in that last piece was so needed in the conversation. And so I was going to ask you about financial friends mission statement and all that stuff, but you kind of knocked that out, laid it out for us. Um, I do yeah. give you a chance to kind of just talk about where folks can find your book, um, and we'll obviously share a link also where folks can still go buy it. Um, but kind of just talk a little bit about the book, what parents will be giving to their children when they read the book, and um, obviously where they can find it. Right. So, um, and, and I'll say you can find it on Amazon, the Target has it, Barnes & Noble. If you just type in Savannah Savings Jar on the internet, it's available there. If you're in St. Louis, uh, the I See Me bookstore has it available there. It's a Black-owned bookstore. Um, but yeah, so what you will be getting, uh, so it, it depends on who I'm talking to, right? So everyone from the student, the parent, the teacher, um, or just a, a family member will be getting something from the story. Um, and just from the experience of reading it with a child. Uh, so there are different components and elements of it. Like I said, I wrote it while I was a teacher um, and I wrote it with the intention of incorporating things that as a teacher, a, a teacher looks for, right? So mm -hmm. comprehension, tracking for comprehension. So with, with their different comprehension strategies, you have visualizing, you have text-to-text um, -text connections and text-to-self connections, which essentially just helps the child be able to better understand the story. So I have questions at the end of 
certain pages uh, throughout the book that basically tracks that child's understanding of the story as well as the financial concepts. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was really important because I want to make sure that the child is reading and understanding what they're reading. Um, I was teaching say to me, so, you know, they're, 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 they're reading the words, they understand the words, uh, but they don't, if I ask them a question about it, they're not quite understanding what they just read. Mm -hmm. And so as a teacher, we know that we need to track for understanding, asking certain types of questions in order to make sure that the kid is really um, understanding what, what he or she is reading. Uh, and so that's one of the things. Another thing is, uh, is a glossary. So I was very intentional because it's for through fifth grades. Uh, wanting to teach just like basic book features. Uh, and so even if a, a younger child for say first or second grade gets the book, be exposed to a glossary is what it means to have a highlighted word and mm -hmm. to go find that part of the book where they can get more information, definitions of the, of the, uh, of the words and their meanings. Um, there's also like a slime recipe included in there, just like a fun activity. I'm really big on, like giving getting giving kids hands-on experiences to test their knowledge mm -hmm. uh so savannah in her story creates a slime business and so it made made sense to include a slime recipe in, mm -hmm. in case a child was like well i want to do a slime business great here's here's your first step yeah uh let's see what else they're getting they're getting they're getting really good starting points for conversations that they can go deeper into. So we talk about return on investment, what an entrepreneur is, um, there's a budget in there. And I know some people use different terminology, not just budget, they may use spending lists, there's different names for it. So it, it allows a parent or whoever is teaching the lesson to be able to uh, start, have a starting ground that they can uh, launch from to teach other lessons. Um, there's a lot of really good lessons in the book there it can be used in stem so there's obviously science because of the the, the slime recipe mm -hmm. um the technology piece of if there's a kid you know who wants the entrepreneurship piece of it uh but there's the math as well in there um so there's a lot because if we're dealing with money the kids are able to uh like add and keep track of their budget um I told there's there's been teachers that tell me like they could write an entire week's worth of a lesson using the book. So, mm -hmm. um, and but it's it's also just like a fun and engaging story. Kids love it. I went on a lot of author visits last year, um, and whether and I and at some I would go into first, second, third grade, fourth grade classrooms, fifth grade classrooms, and I had the same response across the board. They were all interested in the book. Um, they were really engaged and engaged in the story because kids want to learn about money. Like what's this, yeah. what's this thing that they're talking about, you know? Um, and now I get to engage with it. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's what I'd say. I'd say, and you have a, you have a spark now, now a spark that you can continue to fuel the flame of. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think even just talking about that piece um, where you say kids want to know about money, like how many times have your parents told you, no, when you have your own money, you can get it. Well, how do I get money? And the conversation kind of never goes past that. It's a, you don't have it, but how exactly. do I get it? And I think a lot of kids have that, have that, that want, they want to get it. They want to have it because it's so important. They can get the, the cool things that they want. So how, how does it work? How do I make it work for me? All of those sorts of different things that, that right. adults are trying to figure out. But if we start teaching it earlier, like you said, um, then kids can start to make those investments earlier and kind of go into a path of, of, of having money in their consciousness much earlier. And so I want you to share with folks, um, whether they be teachers, whether they be parents, uh, whether they be students themselves, or like people who are coming up with the curriculums and policies in schools, um, what is the societal impact, especially in our communities, communities of color, um, of financial literacy and financial capability? Right. So, oh, it's another great question. Um, that's why I'm doing it, right? Uh, to speak to that audience in particular. Um, so, the societal impact. I'll, there's a study that talks about, or a prosperity report said that uh, by 2053, without intervention, the median household wealth of Black communities would be, or the Black community would be zero wealth. 
um, or zero dollars. And so that statistic really stuck with me because for, for, a few re for a few reasons. One, it's like, okay, 2053 is no more than a hop, skip, and a jump away from where we are right now. So within this lifetime, the median household wealth of Black people could be zero dollars. That was alarming in and of itself, uh, but I don't like to live in fear. Um, another piece of that same statement or, or study was without intervention. So what can be the societal impact with intervention, with certain strategies, we can change that narrative. Uh, and so what I say is there are resources out there. Start within whatever you feel comfortable with. So a lot of, a lot of research says that parents and teachers don't really um, talk about these, have these conversations with their kids because they don't feel comfortable having those conversations with their kids, whether it's because they don't want to be financially vulnerable about what their situation is, mm -hmm. or if they don't feel like they are equipped to teach it. Um, there's a lot of uh, resources online on, on YouTube. There are books stay up to date on the books that I'm writing. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not just a plug because of me, but really like they're intentionally, I'm doing them intentionally for it to help you. Uh, so stay up with those resources uh, that are available to you and, and don't feel like you have to push yourself too much. Anything is something more than what, what you're already doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, and that's from, that's from the person who's doing a lot to the person who isn't doing anything at all. Uh, and so, and there's, there's, there's something for everyone within that. Again, I will plug Jumpstart Coalition. They have national standards uh, on what you can be teaching your child at across the grade span from K through 12. Um, and I would, that's a great place to start. Uh, I, it's also on my website, financialfriendsfoundation.org. I have um, on my resources tab, a link to where you can find their website and their resources and some other resources uh, on YouTube that are available as well. They just have kid videos. Um, but it's so important to just be taking any kind of action, uh, whether it's even, even through conversations, um, informal lessons. If your child is asking a question about the bank, give them, give them what you know. And if you're, if you're confused about the specifics of it, just have a moment where you take, take a, take a second or two, Google it and, and, ha and have a mini lesson in the car or, mm -hmm. um, or at home. It doesn't have to be too much. Uh, with, with the Kids with Financial Friends Foundation, again, we're teaching financial capabilities. So it's those literacy lessons, but immediately taking them and having them apply it. And so uh, because kids are, are work better with their hands and with projects and experiences, mm -hmm. expose them to real life lessons. Um, if you feel comfortable, show them a bill and say, hey, because of the fact that we're using these lights, this is the thing that I have to pay for you know but but don't just stop there because that's not the only thing that people kids can do with their money is pay bills right you don't want to just create that narrative show them that the real estate around them there are people who are buying these homes and they are taking that money and getting equity from it and explain what equity is and how um and and maybe even stocks and but again within what you feel comfortable with and if you know of people uh use your community in, as well. Uh, the reason why Financial Friends Foundation is called Financial Friends Foundation is because we wanted to create a, um, a community of friends that were comfortable having financial conversations. And so if you don't feel comfortable, if you don't have someone in your immediate community that you feel comfortable with, reach out to us. We have um, partnerships with certain with banks and um, financial advisors, financial experts, or people who are just good with their money, who could who who would be more than happy to have a conversation with you and your child um, about uh, about finances and about money. So, um, I did I make sure I answer your question though, because you know how I can just <laughs> no, I can answer it from the from the perspective of like, especially in our communities, our our relationship to money um is not always great um it's it's just not always great our our trust in banks our trust in 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 
and our ability to live in a basis that's not check to check in low income communities kind of the the that investing thing or that saving thing is not something that feels attainable and i think that um for some folks it's just not attainable and then for others it is a lack of understanding of how to use your money to work for you rather than you just working for your money we all are working for our money but we also want to make it work for us and so um having resources like financial friends is so is so incredible because again from a from a generation to generation perspective we want to be creating the next generation of folks who have a much better relationship to money than we do like one of my best friends her mom had came here from jamaica by herself um and, and grinded and worked and just bought her first house and is like feels incredible about it and my best friend has incredible credit because when she was 14 her mom put her on all her credit cards so that she would make sure that she was generating um generating credit and it was just kind of like um how many parents don't even think of that thing that they can give to their child in in good credit and so like that financial literacy and that financial capability um standpoint is so necessary to start to break those generational curses that we that we have in our community um exactly yeah funny that you oh sorry go no 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 go ahead i was just thinking more about with financial friends reason why because we're big on making sure that kids have contact with real money mm -hmm. um and a lot of it has to do with the fact that because we don't know what the kids experiences are with money and also kind of in relation to but also outside of their parents how can they begin to start to shift this paradigm and understand uh beyond their environment more about finances and mm -hmm. so giving them real money real experiences helps to be able to expand that narrative and i just wanted to kind of put tag that onto what you were saying because um you know if 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 as a nonprofit we're getting all this money and and the money is somewhere sitting you know and we're talking about finances how is that helpful right Absolutely. and, and, and with, you didn't you did say you were going to mention the mission and vision but within it talks about how to dismantle poverty Mm -hmm. and generate wealth and income and so those are all strategies in which um we're wanting to use to change that narrative to shift those paradigms to create new realities absolutely oh beautifully said um so we we, we i think we aired out the conversation with financial friends but now we have to move to one of your other incredible accolades um being the youngest person to become vice president of University City's School District Board of Education. That is absolutely incredible. And so I want to talk a little bit about what brought you to make that decision to, to run for school board, what a school board is, what it does, and why it's so important for parents and teachers to be involved. Right, okay, so, whew, so where, why did I, I'll start with why did I uh, run for office? So I guess that, I moved to St. Louis 2014 and with the goal in mind and what was placed on my heart to better understand the conditions of uh, black students, black families, black of the black community. Um, and, and I applied to CFA because I didn't care where I was. I was like, I want to understand the black experience in this country, send me someplace so, and I'll figure it out from there. Yeah. Um, and so getting to St. Louis and immediately that August, um, you know, learning about the race relations and then having Michael Brown be murdered was, was an immediate, there, there's a lot to do. Uh, and, and, and I don't like to, to use urgency in the sense of um, not necessarily taking your time and being deliberate, but there, it's, it's a little bit overdue for, for justice have been served and so what are you going to do specifically to ensure that and i, I don't want to get emotional because we were already talking about like how we're being right how yeah. this and, and i haven't been crying so i hope i don't yeah but um just making what are the action steps that i was going to do to be able to again stand alongside folks and um and ensure that equity 
and ensure that justice was going to be served and specifically in the space of education. So uh, during my third year of teaching, <clears throat> I, or maybe I think it was actually my, my second, it was my third year of teaching. Uh, during that beginning part of the semester, I was looking around my classroom and I knew I was, I was like, I was thinking, I want to be doing more. Like I want to be doing something more, uh, more numbers and hindsight bias, I always say, I don't, I can't really put a, a gauge on what, what more really means, because when you have direct contact with people, uh, you are making a huge impact. And when you're further from, but also doing systemic things, you know, it's just a different kind of, uh, of change, a different kind of impact that you're making. Uh, but I, but at the time, within my understanding, I thought I want to be making more of an impact. And so how can I do that? Uh, and TFA, you know, they have connections with uh, Leadership for Educational Equity, Lee, and there was an email that came across my inbox that asked about, you know, if I'd ever considered running for office, and I was like, well, yes, I have, uh, and mostly because I'd been having conversations with my mentor, Tashara Jones, who's the treasurer of St. Louis, as well as a really good friend of mine, Charlie Cooksey in St. Louis, um, just about how they've been able to use their positions of power within the institution to enact change. And so uh, long story short, ended up going to a Lee event where there was an exercise where we were, we had a mock community and took on different roles within the community. And I can't remember which, com which role I originally did. Um, but I remember thinking to myself, yeah, this isn't within, again, my locus of control right now. I don't feel really prepared to have this role. Um, and then realize that school board was a role. Again, wasn't aware of school boards and what that really did. Wasn't really into local government like that. But I did know that change could happen at the local level. Um, and so throughout that conference, um, I decided, okay, I'm really interested in a position on a school board um, or the school board in my community. And um, again, going to another conference with, with Lee, speaking with other Black, black um, educators at Howard University, actually, um, where we were just talking about some kind of our fears around, uh, around running for office, around our frustrations within education and within uh, representation. Um, and next thing you know, I have decided that mm -hmm. enough is enough and I will, dis I will contribute to my community in the way that I can, um, taking my education experience and my passion uh, to um, make change on or within the community from the school board level. And then you ask what a school board is. Yeah. Uh, a school board essentially holds the superintendent, well, they hire superintendent, fire superintendent, but also holds the superintendent accountable to what uh, their mission and vision is of the school. And so, um, or of the district rather. And so for me, uh, knowing from the teacher's perspective, what uh, was needed to ensure that students were able to thrive in an academic setting uh, and not just academically but also social emotionally I was really drawn to running in my community because the superintendent uh, Dr. Sharonica Harden Bartley was was speaking about um, reimagining education for our district uh, through um, through humanizing personalizing and problematizing uh, education for the students. And so all of these words were and concepts were things that I'd been able to successfully use in my classroom to, to see the types of growth and mastery that my kids and families were able to benefit from. And so, you know, to imagine that on a district wide level was, uh, especially in a predominantly black uh, uh, school district mm -hmm. was, was like, yeah, this is exactly what the next step you know seems to be or needs to be um and luckily and i'll say by the grace of god but then also by um the influence of my community and the trust that my community put into me uh was able to win that election and uh go on to hold the community hold the superintendent accountable and work alongside my uh colleagues to um 
to whether it was from doing resolutions or checking up on policy or just uh, making sure that we're asking tough questions around what is being uh, brought into um, the school and presented to our families and students to ensure that they were able to realize um, that the type of academic and um, social emotional development that the superintendent was uh, promising to the community. Mm. Yeah, that was. A, I feel like oh, I'm just like it was a lot. But I think it's a lot that doesn't get talked about. Like I, okay, I couldn't tell you who's on the school board in the school that I went to high school in. I couldn't tell you who was on the school board in the school in the district in which I live currently. Um, and so I think that too many folks don't even know what it is. They don't know what to look for. They don't know why I should be involved. And so I think everything you said kind of answered the question: Why is it important for parents and teachers to be a part of it? Because um, parents and teachers, it gives you the power to, again, hold the superintendent accountable for what they say exactly. is supposed to be a successful school district. Um, exactly. And so I, I think you hit, knock that question kind of out of the park. And so I kind of want to close by talking about engagement and how we as folks who are working outside of the education system now, I will be inside the education system starting in September, but um, how we get students and teachers and parents and administrators to better engage with the learning um, happening that's, that, that's happening in the school building. Hmm. So whenever, I feel like whenever I'm asked questions like that or pondering questions like that, I always think about where are you starting from? Mm -hmm. uh, and then what is the goal and in, in what you're trying to get to? Um, and, and sometimes that can be best done by starting from where you want to go, where, where is it that you want to be or end at and kind of backwards plan from there to where you currently are. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, and I think that's kind of like some of that Teach for America uh, <laughs> systems change and yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I like to backwards plan. Uh, and so I would say wh whomever you are within the school community, look at whatever your goal is. Uh, if your goal is academic growth, backwards plan from what are the strategies in which I can get to academic growth from where I am, whether that's if I am a uh, white teacher and I'm not really connecting with my, with my black students or students of color, what can I learn um, that is culturally responsive in, the, in my pedagog pedagogical approach to uh, better reach my students? If it is a parent who um, doesn't necessarily have the time to reach out to the teacher because of work um, or whatever those reasons are, um, figuring out, reach, com communicating at some point to the school or the teacher um, or even the district administrators um, what your, what your uh, best mode of communication would be to better engage with your child's life. Because I don't, I don't come from the approach or the understanding that parents don't care about their, their kids. I think they all care about parents care. Um, and it's just a matter of like, how am I going to, um, or how can I best express that? And sometimes we don't always have those answers. Uh, and if, you, if you're able to communicate what it is that you need um, or what it is that you're kind of struggling with, um, and on the other end, it has to be people who are able to receive that vulnerability uh, and then kind of working together to be able to engage in a way that, that, that fits your lifestyle that 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 fits your availability um because just because you're not available 24 7 or even 16 you know hours of the day you should still be reached um and you have within every right to be able to say email is is not my preferred mode of communication text is and the district should be finding a way to communicate with that to you uh, whatever it needs so that you can better engage as well. Um, for students, I would say um, just continue to use your voice and show up. You know, if there's something that you have a problem with, everyone in the school community is here to serve you. And if they've lost sight of that, then remind them of who uh, they're here for. Um, I remember when I was in high school, I had a teacher, Mr. Jurgen, tell us that, that the teachers are here to serve us. And I remember thinking to myself, what? Like, 
y'all here for me? And, I, and obviously, <laughs> right, I'm the one that they are teaching, but I hadn't really conceptualized that if I need something, I can speak up and say, hey, I'm not getting what I need. Uh, and so, um, and whether that is, again, from the school board level all the way down to some, um, or I'll, not say down, but across the span mm -hmm. from administrators to the school cooks, whatever it is, um, whomever you are not necessarily receiving what you need from within that school community, is with, it's, within, it's, with, it's within your right to be able to ask to be served um, in a way that, more, that best meets you and your needs. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I would say plan and get what you need. And, and I would say also, everything isn't going to necessarily be in this in between those school walls and so you know don't be afraid to or um yeah don't be afraid to step outside of the school walls to get what you need um schools aren't going to and they necessarily they shouldn't necessarily have to have everything uh because that's just not reality uh and so you know use the internet use other resources to be able to meet your needs if the school doesn't is it doesn't have it available um it doesn't have it available to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think you touched on so much in this episode um, that is pertinent to the conversation, the state of black, black education, um, the experience of folks in communities that are striving uh, for better access to education for their kids and for their families. And um, we kind of talked about a few of those really huge uh, factors that I think really get missed often in the conversation of education. We're talking about funding, we're talking about this, and I think all of those things are absolutely um, needed, but what is that funding gonna be used for? And right. if financial capability isn't in there, then that's a problem. If, if um, the relationship between the school and the parent is not in there and they're not using it to build infrastructure to be able to text families, to be able to, to have social media that, that brings families into what's going on in the school building. If the money isn't being used for those things because we're not talking about them, well then why, why, why are we having the conversation about transforming education? And so I think some of those things that are on the margins in terms of, of education reform, education transformation, um, we touched on today, which I'm super, super happy about. And so finally, we do this every episode. We like to give, um, switch the role from me as the interviewer to you as the interviewer, and you get the opportunity to ask me any questions about myself and or about back and back education. <laughs> okay, that's cute. I like that. Okay, um, so I, and I, full transparency, everyone, you know, we've talked a little bit before, so if I don't ask a question that is like, you know, for, um, I don't know. Can I can I talk about the conference though, or is that is that why not? Let's do it. Talk about it. Ooh, okay. About it. So, <laughs> so okay. Uh, we were introduced by a mutual friend. Yeah. And long story short, everyone, it went from just talking about mutual interests to, hey, I started for myself um, a website called Black Education Agenda because I just felt like Black people needed a space where we could talk about what it is that we wanted and what we see is necessary for the future of Black education. And uh, having this conversation with you about what it is that you see fit for black education and uh next thing you know we're both talking about how we want to create this conference and so for the people could you tell uh, about why you see it's necessary to hold a conference um and i'll let you speak more about what the conference is and but for a conference for black uh, or specifically about black issues Absolutely. Um, and educations. Uh, yes. I'm so excited that we're talking about this on the podcast because now we can kind of introduce to folks the secret thing that we've been working on. Um, but we are planning a Black education conference for the end of the summer of 2020. Uh, we have all been through a lot 
in, in this year. Um, but I think it's important for us to have a conference that is completely and totally dedicated to black education, because if we do not focus on specific groups and the needs of specific groups. We create plans that are all lives matter. And unfortunately, all lives do matter, absolutely, but they do not all matter the same in the United States of America as per uh, some of the headlines and, and, and horrific incidences of violence. Um, by police officers that we we've seen over the past couple of weeks and so in our conversation we kind of talked about getting panels together getting um presenters together so that any teacher educator policymaker that is in service of black students understand the needs of those students so that they don't always have to be the ones to ask sometimes you need to take the extra step to go and get the information so that you can give them what they need before they have to ask. And honestly, it's not before they've had to ask because they've been asking for it for hundreds of years. Right. Um, at this point, it shouldn't be us knocking on the door to say, can you please give us more funding? Can you please add social emotional learning um, to, to our curriculum? Can you please bring restorative justice circles into the curriculum at our schools? It's I, as an educator of Black students, want to bring these things for them. And so I want to go to a place that is completely dedicated to them um, and get the, the skills that I need uh, to support them in any way that I can. And so everyone out there, well, more information obviously will be coming soon, but the Black Education Agenda and Black on Black Education are teaming up to bring the Black Education Conference to y'all. And y'all better register because we need you there. Right. <laughs> I'll also just say if, if if anyone's interested in being on a panel, I mean, we have a list of people who are already looking toward looking to uh, speak on panels and to present on different topics. But uh, if you're interested and you're an educator or you have something to contribute, definitely reach out to one of us uh, for the conference. And all your information uh, okay. I will put in um, our bio so folks have your email and everything to reach out to you. Um, okay. but yes, we need you there. So, okay. Awesome. Let me see. What's another question. Um, <laughs> I feel like I should have written down my question because our questions, um, what, what was the thing that sparked, uh, your interest in, um, in teaching? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, folks have definitely heard this on the podcast before, but for anyone. Who oh, has, have they? Oh, no. Don't no, answer no, 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 no worries. Um, because I think I, I've never talked about it in specificity. Um, okay. I had an internship at the Center for Alternative Sentencing and Employment Services in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and I walked in with this idea that I was going to be a tutor. I was going to have one-to-one -one meetings with, with students, and it was going to be like that. And at the time, I didn't have a teacher. So I ended up kind of assuming the role um, of, of the educator for all of these overaged, um, undercredited students who had gaps in their education because of... Um, because of issues with criminal justice. And at first I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is a jump. But by week three, I was like, well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Like it just really clicked that, that simply for me. And from there on, I changed my major. I started Black on Black Education. I have been going to everything education that is available. Um, through the CUNY system, um, all the online and virtual seminars that I can get my hands on that I had time for. And so it kind of just sparked, um, I applied to Teach for America. And so it kind of sparked that I want to be um, the kind of educator that I didn't have. And not to say that I didn't have an, a lot of incredible teachers, because I did. But I think um, in my K through 12 experience, I had two black teachers, one of which was a gym teacher and the other one was my third grade teacher. And everyone, every other teacher that I had was a white, white person. And so especially in high school, coming to school after Trayvon Martin, coming to school after just all these 
different issues within our country during the Trump campaign, um, I didn't feel seen in the space. And I didn't have any teachers that were like, oh, we should probably check on her because she has specific experience coming into this predominantly white space um, because it wasn't in their consciousness. And so I kind of was like, well, how do I support students in, in making them feel seen? And, and, and that, that's, that's the story. <laughs> I love that. There was so much in that um especially about just like kind of like that real that realization moment mm -hmm. of like having to assume a certain position uh and i don't just like especially as a black person seeing someone within your community um i know it was an innate thing for me and it sounds like for you as well it's just like okay i need to now assume the position of becoming in action and supporting my fellow brother or sister and uplifting. Um, and so I really commend you on just like not shying away from that call and really leaning to it. Because so many uh, my, my, Right. I have another question too. And it's on, um, it may be kind of random, but I was thinking about it yesterday. What are your thoughts on certification within teaching with or within education um and it's kind it's coming from a place of um i was watching i want to say her name is vivian seidel walker or seidel walker uh, i was watching a lecture of her she's a, a emory professor and she was just talking about the communal way in which uh, black educators taught before the 1970s before uh integration mm -hmm. and uh, I've always kind of been within the thought of you don't necessarily need an, a, a certification to be able to teach. Um, there are people with certification to, you know, uh, do a, a poor, a poor job of teaching, uh, especially in, in particular black students. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just want to know your thoughts on, uh, teaching and certification. Um, and then beyond that, what it is people who do not have teacher certifications can do to support education? Oh, wow. Um, great question. Thank you so much. It was so thoughtful. Um, uh -huh. Certification. So I think in some regards there needs to be more and in some regards there needs to be less. It is, it's, it's, so Teach for America is allowing me to graduate from a bachelor's in, in May and become a teacher in the front of the classroom in, um, in September. And I think that some folks kind of look down on that as a, as a, tra uh, a trajectory to education because they're like, well, I went and got my master's and I did it this way and I did that. So I have what, what's necessary. But almost all of my teachers in high school also had that master's, also had that experience and also didn't serve me in the way that I needed to be served. And so I think teacher certification has to be held in such a in such a weird way. I think if all master's programs were teaching pedagogy of the oppressed, if all master, master's programs were um, using those two years to put folks with incredible teachers to help them become incredible teachers, um, then I would think that that, that master's program uh, certification programs are absolutely necessary and should be across the board. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Unfortunately, people can go through their whole teacher certification without having a conversation about race. And that is a problem. And so the way that Teach for America forces folks to look inward and forces folks to kind of understand their, and I can only speak for, for, for New York's core because I'm in New York's core, but uh, from what I understand, the experience of being a Teach for America core member is that inward reflection of like how my teaching experience or how my learning experience, I cannot take that and directly uh, replicate it in the classroom because the students that I'm serving don't directly replicate me. Um, and so I think both paths of, of, of certification are valid. It's just the validity needs to be changed in who is preparing the teachers to go in the classroom rather than what that looks like in terms of a master's or an online course or Teach for America or New York City Teaching Fellows. It's what is the content that they're getting is the problem um, in many mm -hmm. programs. I completely agree. And then so for the next part of it, so I completely agree. I'm not 
I'm not talking any about it because I don't think there's anything to add because I feel like you knocked <laughs> it out of the park. Uh, so for those who do not have a teacher certification but who are interested in and and have enough experience and exposure where they could leverage um, and be able to support students, teachers, school community in general outside of having a certification, what do you say to those people? I say to those people, get on Instagram, get on Twitter, get on a podcast, get on a blog, get like, use the knowledge in which like that you have and share it with as many people as you can. And even if it's not in a structured standpoint, um, we forget how powerful person to person contact is. Mm-hmm. Um, if I hadn't met, if I hadn't met, um, Stephanie Stamp, who has been on the podcast and who also was my supervisor at Cases, um, I don't know who I would be as an educator now. And so if you're outside of the education system, call on your school board because you feel like you can be in support of students. And that support may not look like go directly into the classroom, but it could look like I need to have a conversation with the power that I do have with the superintendent, with the school board to bring things to their knowledge. They can change without additional funding because we we forget all the time how much you can implement about social emotional learning without another dollar how much right. we can implement about financial literacy without spending an extra dollar in your school and so um i think those people just have to keep knocking on doors until someone answers i agree oh yes all right so i think we had incredible conversation and i just want to thank you for your time and Mm -hmm. i want to thank everybody who hang in with us and listened and can't wait to see you guys next episode bye thank you for having me on (laughs) of course